demographics, digital households, and catch-up. That's what we're talking about this week on Sounds Profitable with me, Brian Barletta. This episode is sponsored by Podsites, podcast attribution. For more information, go to podsites.com. I know that you're listening to Sounds Profitable because podcast ad tech is important to you, but it's important to me that you are kept up to date on the latest news from the entire podcast industry. To help with that, here's what happened last week, no matter when you're listening, from James Cridlin at Pod News. Targeting demographics in podcasting can get a bit tricky. Data can tell you who is in the digital household you're targeting, but not necessarily who in that household is listening. I wrote about this in my article, Can You Target Podcast Listeners by Demographic? which I'll link in the description. I spoke with Jay Green of Cadence 13, a division of Odyssey. I worked with Jay a few times while I was working at Barometric, Claritas, Megaphone. You get the gist. We got a chance to speak about demographics and how podcasting is opening new avenues to use them. What you've done with Cadence 13 has been really cool. Like you guys have been one of the first people that I've worked with to really focus on demographic targeting in interesting ways. So demographic targeting uh, is the mindset that we're looking for the individual, right? Or we're looking for the household or we're taking the information instead of focusing on what show they're at, we're going to instead focus on who is accessing it, um, which is a neat way to target. When you guys use that, is that how you focus every campaign or is it an additive thing for specific campaigns? At that, that's a great question. You know, kind of backing up a little bit, you know, the, the medium's come off and it's evolved in so many different ways. Um, and one of the big pieces as you know, I know you wrote about it, I think it was today, dynamic insertion and what it can bring to the table there. This is kind of the next evolution of that. Uh, you have your direct response or your performance players looking, to, they want to be part of the episodic. You have brands who want to be episodic. You have brands who want to run across series and networks. This is that next iteration. So I don't want to say it's the go-to because um, there really isn't one go-to. Um, why pigeonhole yourself that way? But what this does allow for, it allows for extensions of campaigns. It allows for larger budgets. It allows uh, for uh, to, cre- to create a, a synergy, if you will. So if you have client X who's buying episodically and they're buying in shows that are geared towards female 18 to 34, you can pick those select shows and have your host reads and uh, have your personal endorsements and your personal experiences. And now what you can do is also is you can target, take that target and say, okay, I also want to create this, uh, this campaign that is demo targeted to females 18 to 34, and I'm just going to run it across the network. Because quite frankly, I have shows, you know, sports shows that do have female 18 to 34 listeners, but they might not get bought. They probably won't get bought if you're coming from an 18 to 34 buy on your RFP. But allowing the brand to target against uh, the female 18 to 34 demo across a breadth of shows, now you've gotten the extra mile for the campaign, for the brand, for the client, but you've also now monetized impressions that you might not have otherwise monetized and gotten budgets for. Okay, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I think that most people, myself included, sometimes think that demographic targeting is the core of the campaign, right? I'm only going to buy that age group and I'm going to buy it across a wide number of shows or I'm only going to buy that demographic and I'm going to buy it across a wide number of shows. And so when people think about getting that down to an individual show level or host read even, it just doesn't seem possible. But what you're talking about is 
it's an extension. It's another way to make sure that you're getting exactly what you're looking for from that specific show buy or series of show buys across a wider set of inventory. So you might do a host red ad for a specific show that hits that demographic perfectly, but now that host or another announcer or something else might speak to the rest of your network because Cadence 13 has a good size network and be able to, instead of target that just to the whole show, wait for the specific request that matches the demographics. Is that a good way to put it? That's that's a great way to put it. It's, a, it's just cover all your bases. I like that, right? I think that that still adds value. I think that a lot of the pushback is the mindset of, you know, ones and zeros. In the same way that we look at dynamic ad insertion, people get confused that host red and announcer red are can both be done through dynamic ad insertion. I think that demographic targeting kind of gets that same bad representation because it's easy to assume that if someone wants that on one campaign, they're not going to be lax on it on another campaign. Correct. And it's that it's that mindset of crawl, walk, run. Let us explain it to you. Let us educate you on it, show you how it works. There a lot of buyers that certainly understand it from you know video and YouTube display and even streaming audio. They haven't done it in podcasting yet. So to be able to announce that we can do that now, it's like, okay, I understand. How does it work? How can you know what are we going to see from it? Do we recommend them do it on just one show? No, probably not. Not just yet, because the scale might not be there for it. But if you go across a breadth of shows, um, you can really get some nice scale to it. Yeah, that's that's actually interesting. It leads into my next question. How often would you say people come to the table and say, I only want to do that? Like, is it more common that you have it as part of a plan and that the brands and advertisers you're working with understand that? Or are there still some partners that are very focused on Facebook-like marketing where that's all they do, and it's hard to shake them of that? really depends on the brand and the agency. Uh, if you have agencies and brands who've only bought digital, they've only bought display, they've only bought video, yeah, they're probably just going to come to that and say, I just want people 18 to 49 uh, who have a credit card um, or go shop or go eat at restaurants. Uh, maybe not now, but... So they do come to us with that. Uh, that does happen. I'd say maybe one out of 10 times right now. But what we do a really good job of is, part of our job is I'm not just a, you know, the uh, senior vice president, I'm also an evangelist, right? My Part of my job, for, I've been doing this since 2013 in the podcast space, is I'm an, I'm, I'm an evangelist. I'm, I'm here to educate everybody about the space. So, you know, what we do want to do is we want to go out and say, we can do this for you. Here's what we're going to show you then, and here's the impressions that we can do per week in this, in this event here. Um, but what if? You know, right? Um, the big question we always want to put pose to our clients is, what if? What if you did this? What if you did that? Here's how it would look if you did a targeted campaign for men 25 to 49 who drive an Audi. But here's, you know, here's what happens if you do that and you do a host read. Here's the different pieces that you can do for it because it's not just podcasting's never been just been spots and dots, and it shouldn't be. But if if you take that targeted campaign and you combine it with uh, a sponsorship, if you combine it with an event when they, when events come back, if you combine it with social media, or we do you know some podcasts have videos, you tie that all together. Now you've got that. You know, I'm never a big person on buzzwords, but you tie that in together with a 360 campaign. You've really got something there. I think that that's really important to highlight. I want to just take a second and break that down. What you're saying is that podcasting isn't just a picket and, and run with it, right? You don't come to the table with your own plan 100%, right? You might have a goal in a direction, but the reason you're in podcasting is because you, because you want to work with someone who can 
design something unique for you, right? Really take advantage of the medium and show you how it works hands-on, or you'd be buying it yourself, spot buying from shows. These, the space of podcasting is really hands-on in so many regards because it allows us to kind of pitch the perfect thing for these clients, right? We're the experts, we're the ones managing the media. And it's important that as the ones managing the media and representing it, that we help be good stewards of the brands trying to get into it. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are the stewards of it. And yeah, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more there. Yeah, that's, um, you know, so that's the biggest thing that for people that are, are not at Intercom's level, what I really want to highlight here is that if someone wants to buy direct inventory from you, there's a reason they're interacting with mm -hmm. you and there's a reason Correct. they're taking your call and all of that. And it's because mm -hmm. they're looking for expertise they might come to the table with a plan. They might be really pushy, let's say sometimes with what they wanna do exactly, but they're coming to podcasting because there's something unique about it. Uh, and mm -hmm. I don't care how much flack I get for continuing to say that. So you should present something that takes advantage of what you're offering that's unique to you. That's why programmatic, when we talk about it in podcasting, I don't think anybody, even the leading programmatic partners truly believe that that should be 100% of what you do in podcasting. Every bit of it is additive. People don't get into host red because it's got a little bit of a barrier. You have to know the shows or find ways to get in touch with the shows or work with a network. So sometimes there's a little bit of distance there. That's, that's the hardest one. It feels like for people to get into, especially from other mediums and they start at programmatic, but the, the way to do it really is to test everything. You don't know how your brand is gonna get responded to in podcasting until you try everything. And any partner that just takes your plan and runs it, you know, you're not getting the uniqueness of podcasting there. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that statement. I think there's a lot to be said. We have a lot of great partners who, who do understand that and a lot of great sellers who, who uh, educate on, on that as well as you may come in and think that your core audience or your core demographic buying demographic is X. And after the campaign is done and, you know, they've used that, they use attribution. You've got your, you know, your pod sites, your chartables, barometrics, even you know, your Nielsen studies, Millward Brown, they come in and say, you know what? It was a good campaign, but what we thought was going to be Y really ended up being Z. And what we thought was being would be Z would really turns out to be Y. And let's, look at the next campaign and see how we can change that. I think the, the brands that really succeed are the ones that are willing to be flexible and take a chance and say, okay, I wanted to try X show. It worked, but now I want to try Y show along with X show to see how we can, uh, it, like you mentioned, additive. Um, the, yeah. the, core, the key there is to be flexible. And I, and it's so funny you say that because I feel like when I was at Barometric, one of the first things I remember trying to explain to people is that like, you don't get into podcasting for one campaign. If you're not at least willing to do two, you really shouldn't. Like continue spending wherever you are. I hope it's successful. Reassess, come back to the table for two because it does, it's not apples to apples. Like what you bring in from other mediums isn't always gonna match. You're going to have to learn from it. And it's easy to adapt to those things. Like it's very clear when things do or don't work and how to reassess them. And what you do is you remove shows that aren't performing or you remove demographic targeting that isn't performing. It kind of leads you towards like, how do you optimize the existing campaign? But definitely what do we do better on the next campaign? And that's- And don't that's be really afraid important. to ask questions. We say that to don't be afraid to ask questions. 
If you don't understand dynamic insertion and how it can work with host reads, ask the question. A a ask your rep, ask, the, ask your, um, your strategy teams, how does it work? What does it mean for me? Ask the questions about how does the targeting work? And ask questions, how much should I buy? You know, of course, no one's ever going to tell you, oh, I'll only buy one spot, but ask them why, right? A ask them, why do, you, why do you say that? Why do you feel that way? We'll tell you. We, we've been doing this long enough. And we've been building this industry up to understand where one spot doesn't work um, and where four spots does or where not even spots anymore, where four weeks worth. Create a, create a frequency for yourself. Yeah, I think why is a good question that people should ask. So, I mean, demographic targeting is tough, right? You're getting IP-based information. In other spaces, they get mobile device ID, they get cookie, both of which are going away a little bit. Not a little bit, they're completely going away. But um, we're going to start seeing identity, right? So with identity, what that is, is if I log into the New York Times, part of creating my profile on there is giving them permission to my first-party data. Part of that is going to be IP address. So more value is created on that for demographic matching. But the hard part is, is that IP, if it's cellular or business, is honestly junk. There's no way that a cellular IP can match appropriately to a Nielsen segment because there are so many different people that connect to it and the people that drive through it. Same with business. There's a little bit more wiggle room there, and you can probably figure out what does and doesn't stick around. Um, but it's large, right? Like a big company like yourself at your main office, when we ever go back to offices, uh, it's not going to tell us a lot on a demographic level. So then when we look at the household, it's it's fair to say that your household IP is static, right? Unless your kid kicks the router, uh, that IP is going to be pretty consistent. And especially with the move to first-party data, that IP will be updated frequently. Um, there are so many data partners out there. Nielsen uh, has their own data set. LiveRamp is a great way to get access to uh, basically everybody else's data. Adobe kind of feels like where you put your data when you don't want to share it, so it doesn't super fit for podcasting. Um, but I think the hard part is that we focus so much on what we can target, um, and we try and get every little little detail. Like when I worked in mobile display, it was so important for people to do ridiculous things like I want to target everybody who's at the Super Bowl during halftime. And it was so hard to explain to them, like, you you can't get that granular, right? Like, first off, what percent, how do you buy even 10% of all internet traffic? Then geo-targeting down to there. Then hoping that they use part of that 10% or that they even touch their phone. We got to be realistic with these things. So with guiding people through demographic targeting with a focus on household, because that's what we get, the household IP. How do you how do you answer for the value that it brings at a household level? Uh, well, one thing that we said, you know, you, you mentioned the Super Bowl and people had tickets to Super Bowl, went to Super Bowl. Uh, we agree. Don't You don't want to get that grain because you are missing out. Um, an example I gave is, you, you know, a couple years ago, we were working with a client who only wanted to target people in the military because it was a product that would benefit people who either were in the military or had previously served in the military. And it doesn't help your scale there. So what we convinced them to do, and it was very successful, is look outside of that. People who had family in the military, people who had friends in the military, because there's that, again, we will pose that question, of, what if you did this? Because they're gonna, I'm gonna hear it and say, you know what, my dad served uh, back in the 70s. And I'm gonna be like, Dad, you should check this out. And they did that, and that, that's what ultimately bit, uh, was successful. So don't go as deep as you can. Get that broadness, get that vagueness a little bit so that you can hit the, the, the audience and get that word of mouth. People who are going to hear the ad, who it might not be targeting them specifically, but it definitely targets people that they know. Um, yeah. that's, kind of what, that's kind of what we talk about. That, I, I really like that. 
the thing to keep in mind there is that if you go too narrow, you can't narrow it down further. So Correct. start wide and then peel things off. Allow yourself to dig into it. If it is wide enough that you could eventually split it into two or three campaigns to see what part is successful, you can drive down mm -hmm. to further success. If you're already super narrow, you got to scrap it and start over. That's frustrating for everybody involved. Nobody running these campaigns for you is excited to cash your check and have you hate them. Like right. that's exactly. not the goal. Nobody is really pumped to show like, oh, we landed this brand and ran one campaign for them. That doesn't make anybody happy. But you, you hit on something that I love, right? I talk about this all the time. I will say a problem out loud to my wife. Like I will talk about something stupid that I need help with and I will see ad after ad for a product for it and I will ignore it because I didn't want to hear it, right? I have a problem. I want to be frustrated. I want to find my own solution. I don't want somebody to advertise it to me. But if my wife hears an ad for it because I'm so obnoxious that I'm clearly demographically targeted for it now, but she gets it on a podcast, she'll come up to me and say, hey, have you heard about this product? And I'll be like, no, that's amazing. It super solves my problem. And that's that also ties into how like the attribution works, right? If everything's on a household level, you focus on one person being exposed and then being the amplifier to the household. It's so powerful. Correct. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, and then that's what we're trying to explain to the clients is understand not who your not not only who your core is, but who their core is. Yeah. And, and, and that little bubble, if you will. Yeah, my hope for demographic targeting, specifically in podcasting, is that we'll find in, uh, comfort in getting to a point where we also start looking at demographically profiling the shows themselves, right? Looking at a 90-day period of mm -hmm. uh, who listens to a show run through these demographic partners. Because if me and you listen to a show, our households are going to be different. But if we look at enough people that listen to that same show, the differences in that household will fade away, right? And then we'll have yeah. what they index in, right? And heck, Correct. it would be really cool if you found shows that couples tend to listen to, right? There's enough demographic information that shows there's definitely two people in households on average listening to that show. It's not a bad thing to figure out, but more often than not, you're going to find that it folds away to one person and what you can learn about that. And that would make a killer sales sheet when you're trying to sell single show inventory. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, and look, if you can get my fiance to listen to Tony Kornheiser with me, you're a magician. But that aside, <laughs> no, I agree. And back to the sales point, um, you know, with, with sales, it's not, I don't want to show you the success on this campaign. I want to show you success on the next campaign. And so to that point, uh, that, that's where we want to get them. Yeah. I think that's really, I, I really like that mindset because it shows growth, right? Nobody is in here for a quick buck. I do feel in social advertising, anybody I talk to, as I consider how to grow the newsletter and I talk to these people, they just want my money. They want to want my money. They want to throw an ad against the wall and see what sticks. Um, and then if I'm not happy, they're okay with that because they made their buck and they're done. In podcasting, I don't, I think the community is too small and the people who sell, I think that there's too much personality on the line. And I like to say that podcast advertising is way closer to advertising and social media influencer marketing because of yeah. that personal aspect. And, and that's certainly been a hurdle, but that's across, that's really across the board because you're right. It is, there's a lot of, so, you know, of, of influencer marketing and what we have to, 
market on both ends of the spectrum, one to the brand, but also to our, our talent and our hosts who are, who are our partners. We have to make sure that the ads are going to sound good. We are, we don't, we're not looking to do canned spots. Right? We're not looking just to take a 30-second pre-record spot. That's not what we do. That's not, that's not how the medium's been successful. But um, we have very talented producers, as do a lot of others, that can take the copy, read the spot, and make it sound as if it's part of a podcast. It's not you know, jingles. It's not um, just reads here and there. It's just that they're, they're gonna, our producers are going to take it, and they're going to put it in such a way that it sounds good to the audience. It sounds good to the hosts. It sounds good to the brands. Because at the end of the day, everybody knows what they're doing. They people know what they like to hear, and you can't excuse me, language, but you can't bullshit them. And the same thing with the host; they know what they want their shows to sound like. And if they don't like it, it's not going to work either. So we want to make sure that there's a success on all parts of that spectrum. Yeah. So, what is the weirdest demographic targeting you've had to run a campaign against? Weirdest demographic targeting to run a campaign against. Um, Let's see. That's a good question. You might have to edit this uh, pause out. <laughs> Not a problem. Um, weirdest one. Um, you know, nothing too weird yet. We've had people looking for uh, for hospital usage. We've had people um, who are who love cooking shows. People who love to cook. Probably chefs. Chefs and doctors have been one of the some of the weirdest ones. Um, but nothing too weird just yet. Uh, it's all been pretty broad based. Yeah, I think the the most specific one I ever saw was independent lawyers in a specific state. Yeah, I, I think I've seen that one. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I've seen that one too. I'm, I'm but sure you know you what? Uh, Depending on what your network is and who you have, it could happen, right? Yeah, you know, oh, got, I, uh, I think there's room for it to happen in this space. But like you said, it's got to be part of a combined campaign. It can't. Right? You can't expect to hit a couple million impressions on just no. that. You got to be realistic you and you got to, yeah. I mean, I've been in this space a long time. I've seen shows who have 2000 downloads an episode do very successful, uh, become very successful because they hit that niche. Like this show is only for photographers. And if you're, uh, you know, a camera brand coming in or something, you know, something to that effect, uh, you can do very well there, right? It all depends what your goals are, what you want to hit. So if, no, you you're right. if you're trying to target independent lawyers because you want to get them on board for a class action lawsuit, Sure, why not? It, it, it could work. If you only need a couple hundred, a couple of signups, why not? Give it a shot. It could work. Yeah. Yep. It's all about trying it. Exactly. So, Jay, it's been great having you on the show. I like to put everybody on the spot at the end, and I want to ask what is, let's say, a not mainstream podcast that you have been listening to and you really enjoy and you want to share with everybody? Not mainstream podcast. I got a couple. Uh, one, I have a, a local comic book shop, <laughs> I guess, uh, blatant plug, Zap Comics, that does their Zap Comics radio podcast once a month where they, just the guys in the shop, um, including my brother-in-law, come in and they just talk the latest releases, the movies that are coming out. And it's really go- it's really geared towards their audience. Um, that's one of them. Uh, that's probably, that's probably the, the most non-mainstream, if you will, because they, they have a couple hundred listeners. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the Rewatchables right now, which is obviously mainstream. Um, what we did with uh, Once Upon a Time in the Valley, big fan of that one. Um, I love I love the storytelling. I love I love good interviews. The other one is um, Fat Man Beyond with Kevin Smith. So it's always a, it's always a good one. My, my, my I, yeah, I fall comes in out. and out of Kevin Smith podcasts. <laughs> I'll probably yeah. have to give him a shot again sometime soon. Yeah. 
But it was so great having you here. Uh, and I'll probably ask you to come back in the future. And thank you so much for everything. We'd love it. We'd love it. Thanks, Brian. And stick around for some special bonus content at the end of the episode. I've teamed up with Terra to give you a minute-long strategic thought that is guaranteed to shift your perspective on the present and future of podcasting as we all work to make podcasting better. Thanks to Jay Green for coming on to help expand on my article, Can You Target Podcast Listeners by Demographic? If you like what you heard and want to connect, you can find me, Brian Barletta, on LinkedIn, way less formally on Twitter as High Five RPG, and of course, you can email me, brian at soundsprofitable.com. We'd love to hear your responses to the questions we're asking or questions you may have for us. So click on the Yapa link in the description and leave us a voice message, which we'll gladly respond to and include in our podcast with your permission. The Sounds Profitable podcast and all cool ad tech bells and whistles you've experienced were thanks to our host and sponsor, Wooshka. Everything you've heard since the conversation ended was uniquely created to target you using their dynamic ad insertion features. If any of the callouts were wrong, let us know. Depending on how you're listening, there were over 10 opportunities to hear dynamically inserted content and ads in this episode. While we continue to tweak and innovate our setup, some of the breaks may be more noticeable than others. Thank you for bearing with us and please send over your feedback. The Sounds Profitable podcast would not be possible without the help and support of Evo Terra, James Cridlin, Ian Powell, and Sam Mars. Thank you all for your help and support.